right, if you are uh, new to New Life, I think you, uh, you picked a great day to be here because, as uh, Pastor Rodney said, we're starting a brand new message series today. If you've been around a New Life for a while, you know that our pattern is we take a month each fall, we kind of hit pause on all that we're doing, and we dial into why we exist as a church. Our mission statement here at New Life is that we exist to help people find and follow Jesus in Asheville and around the world. Like, that's our per- that is why we exist we don't have any clever and a creative uh, mission or vision statements because we don't believe that's our job. Jesus has already given us the mission. He's given us the vision for his church. It's our job to obey what he's given us, not recreate it, right? And so we use the ancient mission statement that Jesus gave us. It's been pretty effective for the last 2,000 years, so I think we'll stick with his. All right, now here at New Life, we found that it's uh, been a healthy rhythm for us to, again, pause in the fall for about four weeks, go back, drill down into our mission and our purpose um, as a church. And I think it's healthy for us to ask questions like, do we, as a church, as a faith family here at New Life, do we exist simply to provide a gospel-centered worship experience on Sunday morning? Is that the primary reason that we exist? And I hope in your mind that you're answering that question right now with a resounding no. That is not the primary reason that we exist. In fact, the purpose behind our worship services or gatherings like the one we're in today is to serve as a, as a launch point for us to go and be the church right where we live, work, and play every day in Asheville and to go into the faraway places in the world that have never even heard the name of Jesus. And as someone who grew up as a missionary kid, so I grew up in other countries, my wife and I had the privilege of serving as missionaries in another country after we uh, got married. In fact, our oldest daughter, uh, Haley, was born in Jakarta, Indonesia, so we tease her that she's Asian American. You just can't tell by looking at her. She looks like her mom, got blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, But listen, I, I am passionate about what we're gonna be talking about uh, this morning and the rest of October, but it's important for me that you understand that this, this isn't just a personal passion for me, this is actually God's heartbeat. So, so when God told, when Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28 to, to go, to go and make disciples of all nations, the, the Greek word used there for nations, go into all the nations, is actually the word ethne, meaning uh, ethnicities or people groups, right? Now, this is, this is known as the Great Commission because Jesus was saying to his disciples then, and I think he's saying to us this morning, that, look, this is, this is primary. Like, like missions is not, it's not a component of what you're to be about. It's not a component of your, of your mission or your purpose. As, as Christians, as collectively, as a church body, this is your mission and your purpose, so here's the question that we'll kind of be answering today. Why, why should we go? Why should we obey Jesus' commandment to go? Why has God blessed us? Now, if you're on social media at all, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, you've probably seen the whole uh, trending thing, the hashtag blessed thing. Have y'all seen that? Everybody kind of uses that now, hashtag blessed. So it's, I think it's really just a way to humble brag. Personally, I think that's, that's what it is. So uh, you'll see people uh, post something silly like, unexpected raise today, hashtag blessed, right? Boyfriend just bought me a new Benz today for my birthday, hashtag blessed. Or they'll post a picture just like the bottom half of their legs laying on some beach, like the Mediterranean beach somewhere, like 
my current view, hashtag blessed, right? It's just a way for them to say, look how good I have it, you peasants, right? You're eating your PB&J sandwich in the break room at work, but I'm just over here blessed. And as silly as that whole hashtag blessed thing is, the reality is, as Americans, we are staggeringly blessed. We need to understand that this morning. As Americans, listen to this, we are in the top 1% of global wealth. 1%. Forbes magazine published an article a couple of years ago in which they said that, this just was mind-blowing to me. Listen, listen to what they said. The average American today is 90 times, not nine times, 90 times richer than the average historical human being. They went on to say in the same article that poverty in the American culture looks like middle class almost everywhere else in the world. Now, if you have not traveled outside of the United States or Western Europe, you may not realize this, but we live in Disneyland. The rest of the world, historically and presently, does not live like we do. The idea of having access to three healthy, balanced meals a day, the idea that you might have two or more cars in a family, homes that are a thousand square feet or hundreds of thousands or thousands of square feet large, the idea that, that you might have a vacation, not just once in a lifetime, but every single year. Like these are concepts that most of the world will know nothing of ever. So we've been blessed as a nation materially like no nation in the history of humanity. And then for those of us who are also American believers, American Christians, we are richer even still. Because God has not only given us material blessings like no nation in history, but as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have also been made rich spiritually. See, the essence of our faith is that though we were spiritually bankrupt, when we were blind, when we were dead, Jesus came into our mess. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross as a payment for our sin against a perfect and holy God. And through him, we are now adopted and we are his children. And we have an imperishable inheritance of abundant life now and in eternity. The apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and he said that in Christ, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Like, not, not some spiritual blessings, like not a few spiritual blessings, not even most spiritual blessings, but that in Jesus we have every spiritual blessing in the hev heavenly realm. Like all of our sins have been blotted out by Jesus. All of them. He has chosen us. He has adopted us. He has made us his people. He's made us a royal priesthood who will one day rule and reign with him forever. Church, are we not rich? We are filthy rich. We are blessed beyond comprehension. But here's the question that far too few of us in the American church ever ask. And the question is this, why has God blessed us? Why has God blessed us the way that he has, both materially and spiritually? And this question will inform the framework of the rest of our time this morning. Has God blessed us simply so that we could live the good life? Has God blessed us so that we could just 
live in the biggest, nicest house possible? Has he blessed us so that we could just drive the, the, the nicest, newest car possible? Has he blessed us so that we could take as many exotic vacations as possible? And understand this morning, I am not saying that, that having a nice house or having a nice car or taking a nice vacation is wrong. Like I, I believe God wants us to enjoy his good gifts, but is that his primary purpose in blessing us or... Does it actually go deeper than that? If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it, open it up, turn it on your device. Go to Genesis chapter 12. That's where we're going to camp out this morning. This is the story of Abram or Abraham. I'm going to use those names interchangeably. Don't let that throw you off. This guy's name was Abraham or Abram until God changed it to Abraham in Genesis 17, which Abraham actually means father of many nations. Now, let me give you a a little bit of a context before we dive in. By the time we get to the narrative in Genesis chapter 12, humanity is in a really desperate place. As we looked at last month, Adam and Eve kicked off a rebellion in the garden against God in Genesis 3. By the time we get to Genesis 4, we see the first murder, and then things spiral out of control from there. In fact, the earth becomes so depraved, so wicked, that God destroys it with a flood. Only one righteous man, Noah, and his family are spared. And now years have passed since the great flood, and even the descendants of that one righteous man, Noah, have now also turned their backs on God. And it seems like this is going to be the end. Things seem very hopeless at this point. God has given humanity chance after chance, and the flicker of hope seems like it's about to be extinguished until there's this amazing turning point in Genesis chapter 12. Let's check this out together, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred or your family and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now here's what you got to know about Abram. Abram was from a city called Ur. Ur is about 180 miles southeast of modern-day Baghdad in Iraq. The people of Ur were pagan idol worshipers. They primarily worshiped actually the the moon god. And Abram's family was so steeped in this idol worship, his dad's name was actually Terah, which means, actually means moon, right? So so this is not like a a church-going, God-loving family. Like Abraham did not grow up in VBS. He didn't grow up memorizing Bible verses in Sunday school class. These are pagan people who have willfully rejected God and they're now worshiping false gods. And to make matters even more desperate, Abram's wife, Sarah, is barren. They cannot have kids. And so it appears that the family line will now end with Abram. And it seems like things at this point in history are hopelessly lost. And then God steps into the dark space of history and he does the unthinkable. He reaches out to this pagan man and he says, hey, Abram, I'm gonna take you a pagan idol worshiper with a barren wife, and I'm gonna make a people for myself that outnumber the stars. Abram, look, look up at the sky. Can you count the stars? That's how many descendants I'm going to give you. I'm gonna make a, a new people, and I'm gonna give them a new heart. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now we know, 
that from Abram's line eventually came the Messiah. In fact, Matthew chapter 1 lays out the genealogy from Abraham to Jesus. And so all of us who now trust in Jesus by faith, we are grafted into the family of faith. We are grafted into Abraham's family. We are the fulfillment of this promise that God made to Abraham all those thousands of years ago, which is mind-blowing to me. But here's what I want you to see. God's heartbeat for the nations, for all families of the earth, for all the ethne, did not begin in Matthew 28 with the great commission of Jesus. See, I think a lot of us read the scriptures and we come across that passage, we're like, oh man, this is a, a new idea. This is something that Jesus instituted, but that's not true. Even in the opening scene of Genesis, the first commandment that God gives to Adam and Eve is to multiply and fill the earth. God wanted and he wants this world to be filled with his worshipers. And that mission is now passed on to Abraham in Genesis 12. God's heartbeat has always been for all peoples. And I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it because I know this to be true. Listen, God is not an American God. He is way bigger and way more glorious than that. He is a global God. And one day he will have people from every tribe, tongue, and nation in his kingdom, gathered around the throne of the Lamb, worshiping him forever. We see a picture of that in Revelation. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. But listen, I want you to understand something. We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of this mission. God has invited us into this. Now, now why would God choose a pagan moon worshiper and his barren wife to save the world through? Like, this is the, the least likely couple in human history for God to choose to bring salvation through. And I think it's because God's power is most clearly seen in our weakness, not in our strength. His power is most clearly seen in our weakness, not in our strength. So let me, let me hit pause there for a minute and just say that to me, it, it seems like there is a bit of a misconception that has slowly over time crept into the American church. And the misconception is this, that, that missions, that going is reserved for a special class of Christians or Christians with a special call. That you need, you need some kind of big revelation, some kind of big dream in the night with a 60-foot Jesus standing by your bed or some vision, right? And here's what I want you to know this morning. The call to go in Genesis 12 is the same call to go from Jesus in Matthew 28, and it is your call to go today, Christian. And it is our call collectively as a church body to go. This is a mandate, and for us to pretend like this call belongs to a select few in God's kingdom is to ignore the entire message of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Church, we must turn, we must repent from this unbiblical, anti-gospel view that has permeated the Christian church that the call of missions belongs to a select few with a special call. That is not true. The local and global mission is not a call for the few. It is the mission of every single person that loves Jesus Christ and calls him Savior. I want to read to you a part of a sermon uh, that was preached by the great English preacher Charles Spurgeon 
in 1873 to his congregation in London. And I think it's just as applicable for us today in 2019 in Asheville, North Carolina. I want you to listen to what he said. Spurgeon says, once more, he who really has this high estimate of Jesus will think much of him. And as the thoughts are sure to to run over at the mouth, he will talk much of him. But do we so? If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak. Your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. And then get this. He says, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that, he says. Remember that. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation for Jesus in a totally silent tongue about him. Let me put it another way. Every Christian today, every Christian in this room is either living on mission for Jesus or living in sin. God has called you to go locally and globally. This this is your purpose, brother and sister. We have oxygen in our lungs. We have blood flowing through our veins right now so that we might be the conduits through which God's blessing might flow to all the families of the earth. Now look back at Genesis 12, verse one. Now the Lord said to Abraham, uh, or Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now what's the first word that God says to Abram? Go. The same exact language that Jesus uses in Matthew 28 to his disciples. Go. The same exact language in the Great Commission. This is an invitation to leave comfort and security and control. This is God saying to a pagan man who is far from him, listen, Abram, I've got something better for you. I've got something better for you, but you're gonna have to trust me. You're gonna have to love me, Abram, more than you love the security of your cushy career in the city of Ur. You're going to have to love me and trust me more than the comfort of living right down the road from your family. Abram, you're going to have to love me and trust me enough to leave what is familiar and comfortable to you. And notice that God doesn't even tell Abram where he's sending him. He doesn't even tell. He just says, Abraham, go. Go to the land that I'm going to show you. Look, God was looking for an open-handed yes from Abram. And I'm gonna suggest to you this morning that he is looking for an open-handed yes from you too. No qualifications, no, uh, yeah, God, I'll go. Yes, I'll go if it's close by. God, I'll, I'll go if it's safe. I'll go if it's convenient, when it's convenient. God, I'll go if it's not too uncomfortable, if it doesn't cost me too much. And God goes, no, 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 child, you don't. You don't, you don't get it yet. See, mo- most of us don't want to say yes until we can see all the way down the pathway. And God is going, beloved child, this is not how it works. 
This is not how it works. I'm illuminating one step at a time for you. And your first step is to say, yes, I will go. I will go, I will live on mission for you, whether that's locally, nationally, or globally, some combination, I will go. No qualifications, just yes. And I think God is saying to us this morning, do you trust me? Do you really trust me? Will you relinquish the mirage of control and security? And by faith, will you follow me wherever I lead? You see, I'm not, I'm not so sure that God cares so much about the geographical location of our going as much as he cares that we trust him enough to actually go. And so will you go? Will you lay your yes on the table this morning and allow God to put it where he wants it? See, because a lot of us have it backwards. A lot of us have this impression that if we go, we get God's blessing. That if, if and only if we obey, we get the promises of God. That if we're good little boys and girls, then God will love us. And I want you to understand, that is religion. That is dead religion. Religion says you do this in order to receive this. That is not the gospel. That is anti-gospel. The gospel is that we have already received the full blessing of God through Jesus. We have access to every promise, to every spiritual blessing in the spiritual realm because of Jesus, and we did nothing to deserve it and nothing to earn it. So we don't, we don't go to earn the blessing. We already have the blessing, and so we go. Friend, we have the blessing. We already have the riches. We don't have to go to earn anything. We have it all already. This is our fuel to go. We are forgiven, fully forgiven. We are redeemed. We are adopted. Our inheritance is secure. It is all ours in Jesus. We are blessed, and so we must go. And so why do we go? I want to give you four primary reasons from this text that it is the mission and mandate of every believer to go. Here's reason number one. Why do we go? Our mission is fueled by blessing. Church, to the degree that you understand the blessings of God in your life, you will go. Now my fear as a pastor in the American church is that for many in the American church, we have grown sleepy. We have become groggy Christians intoxicated with cheap comforts and false security when God has invited us into something so much greater. I recently watched a uh, two-hour documentary on the Iranian church, which, by the way, is now the fastest-growing church in the world. It's now eclipsed the Chinese church. It's all underground. The Iranian government has crushed anything um, that like church buildings or things like that, but it's exploding underground. And the church is growing so much in Iran now that they're actually sending out missionaries to other countries. And in this documentary, they told the story of an Iranian Christian couple who moved to the U.S. as refugees to escape the persecution in Iran. And about a year after they had moved to the United States, the wife came to her husband and she said, we gotta go back to Iran. And he looked at her and said, why? 
why would we ever go back there when we have it so good here? And I want, I want you to listen to her answer. This was her answer to her husband. She says this, I, I feel like the American church has been sung a lullaby. The church here is sleepy, and I feel myself getting sleepy too, and so we must go back. And they moved back to Iran. They chose persecution in Iran over the sleepiness of the church in America. And I agree with that, sister. Church, the devil has sung us a lullaby and we are drowsy. We are drowsy, we are drunk on material success, on comfort, on chasing things that will not matter in the end while God has called us into something far greater than what most of us are giving our lives away to. We must wake up from our stupor and join God in his mission of reconciling all families of the earth, all nations, all ethne to himself. And understand this, God is going to accomplish this with or without us. He doesn't need us. But I want to be a part of something bigger than me. And I want us as a faith family to be a part of something bigger than just this. And I don't want to lay on my deathbed one day, many days from now, as an old man with regrets that I played it safe and that I loved my comfort more than I loved God and his mission to bless all families of the earth through Jesus. Church, I don't want to be a sleepy Christian. I want to walk this journey with clear eyes and a full heart, fully alive, on mission with Jesus. And we have been invited into this. I want you to look at verse 2 again with me from Genesis chapter 12. It says this, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's promises are staggering here. He says to Abraham, you go, you trust me. You leave your comfort, your security, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great. And that is precisely what happened. We know that historically, Abram's barren wife bore a son named Isaac. And through this son eventually would come the Messiah who now offers salvation to all the families of the earth, to every nation, to all ethnes. But notice that Abraham only experiences the fullness of the blessing as he goes. See, Ab Abraham could have said, you know what, God, I, I'm good, man. <laughs> I'm good. I appreciate the invitation. I appreciate that was very thoughtful of you, Lord, but I have a pretty good gig here in the city of Ur. I've got a nice job. I have a solid 401k. My family is here. They live right down the road, so when we have kids one day, it'll be really convenient. My parents can babysit the kids. Man, it's, it's comfortable here. Abraham could have said that, and he would have missed out on all that God had for him. Listen, we experience the blessing as we go. It's as the disciples obey the command to go that they see miracle after miracle in the first century. 
It's as they go that they see people come to faith by the tens of thousands. It's as they go, they see brand new churches planted all over the world. It's as they go that the Jesus movement explodes throughout the whole known world. They experience the blessing in the going. And so it was for Abraham, so it was for the disciples of Jesus, and so it is for you and me today. So why do we go? Here's the second reason we go. We go because we experience the blessing in the going. We've been blessed to go. I want you to look at the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 9. This will be on the screens for you. This is the Apostle Paul. He says this, He, that is God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed. Why? For sowing and the increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Why, Paul? To be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So Paul goes, listen, watch this. God multiplies your seed so that you can sow more seed. He gives you more, not so that you can build bigger barns to store all of your blessings. He multiplies the seed in your hand so that you might be a blessing to others. You are enriched, he says, in every way so that you might be generous in every way. I want you to look back at verse two in Genesis 12. He says, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you're getting this blessing, Abraham, so that the purpose behind the blessing is that you will be a blessing to all the peoples of the world. In other words, Christian, we are blessed to be a blessing. And that is the third reason we go. We are blessed to be a blessing. This is the primary purpose of blessing in God's kingdom. is to point our affections to him, to see his heart for all the peoples, and to join him on his mission to bless all the families of the earth through Jesus. So what's Abraham's response to God's scandalous call to go? I love what it says in Genesis a 12, four. Look at, look, look, look at the response. So Abram went. So he went as the Lord had told him. And listen, Abraham had every reason to play it safe here. He had comfort, he had family, he had a sense of security and familiarity. But listen, he met a God who was so captivating and so beautiful that he was willing to risk it all. And we live in a world that screams to us that we should play it safe in life. That we should risk nothing. That we should live for our comfort. And friend, I'm telling you, you can choose that life. But if you choose that path, you will die a slow death inside because you were created for risk. You are wired for adventure in God's kingdom. And that's where you will actually begin to come alive in this life. So why do we go? Here's the next reason. Number four, we go because risks in God's kingdom are always, every time, worth it. William Carey was a young uh, English pastor in the 1700s whose heart burned for all the peoples, all the families of the earth to know Jesus. And he went to a pastor's conference and he shared his passion for all the peoples of the world to come to know Jesus Christ. And as he shared that, there was an older pastor in the back of the room who stood up and told him to sit down and shut up. And Carrie did neither. 
He risked it all. He sailed to India and he spent the last 41 years of his life sharing Jesus with the Indian people and translating a Bible into their language. He never again saw his homeland. He never again saw his friends. But today, there are almost 30 million followers of Jesus in India. And an entire generation of missionaries were inspired by William Carey's fearless risk in God's kingdom advancement. Carey's most famous um, quote is this, and, and I love it. I'm gonna put it on the screens for you. He said this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Church, let that become our motto. Let that become our manifesto, that we have a great God that we have come to know and love and trust, and he's got a great mission for us, and so we're gonna attempt great things. We're gonna attempt risky things. We're gonna attempt scary things because he is worth it, and we come alive in that mission. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to bow your heads right now. We're gonna consider a couple of things as the band comes. We're gonna sing in a minute and close it out. But before we do, if you're here as a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand, if you're a Christian, you listen to me, you have been sent. You have been sent. You are a missionary. You may be a poor missionary, but you are a missionary nonetheless. You may be a disobedient missionary, but you are a missionary nonetheless. Listen to me, there is no such thing as an unsent Christian. See, God has called you to Asheville. He's called all of us to Asheville. None of us are here by accident, but listen, we are both called to Asheville and we are called out of Asheville simultaneously. It is not an either or calling, it is a both and. It has always been a local call to go as well as a global call to go. The light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. So I think a healthy question for each of us to ask, this is probably a healthy question for you to ask in your community group, with your spouse, with your kids, with your families, or just to ask yourself, how, how am I, how are we engaging our city and how are we engaging the nations? Am I, am I praying? Am I, am I giving to facilitate this great global movement that's happening and spreading all over the world? Am I participating in it? Am I praying? Am I financing it? Am I going myself to be a part of it? I loved it this week. I, I got an email from one of the men in our church, and it was just a picture. It was a picture of a passport application with the caption, guess what I'm doing? I said, yes, man, we're starting to get the seeds here where people are starting to understand. that, like, There's this mission that's so much greater outside the four walls of this church that God has called us to and he's invited us to be a part of. And I would just guess there are some of you who are sitting in here right now and you've had a sense that God was calling you to go, but for one reason or another, you've waited. And I would also guess that there are probably some people sitting in here right now and you're having that sense to go being stirred in your hearts right now, maybe for the very first time in your lives. And here's, here's, what, I, here's what I think God is whispering into the hearts of many of our people this morning. I think he's saying to us, believer, it's time. 
It's time. The adventure awaits. And no, it's not always safe. And no, it's not always secure. And yes, it's risky. And yes, it's worth it. Because my mission is not complete until every ethne, every people group have heard the glorious good news that there is a God in heaven who loves them and who has made a pathway for them to find forgiveness and freedom through Jesus. And so here's the question that I want to ask you, and we'll have some practical ways that you can answer this question at the end of this month together. But here's the question that I want you to begin to roll around in your mind and your heart. Will you put your yes on the table and will you let God put it on the map? Are you bold enough to pray a scandalous prayer like that? To just say, God, here's my yes. I don't even know what that means yet. Just like Abraham didn't know what that means yet, God, but I I trust you enough and I know your goodness enough and I love you enough that I'm gonna obey before I can even see where you're gonna take me. Brother, sister, will you pray that radical prayer over the next few weeks with me? Because I I believe that God is beginning to, to stir something new at new life. And he's getting ready to to launch us into a season of of mission and going and multiplying right here in Asheville and also extending to all the families of the earth. So will you pray? And will you say yes to being a part of God's global mission and movement? Let's pray. Father, Father, for the person here in this room right now who is far from you, perhaps They're here because a friend invited them. Perhaps they just found us on a Google search or maybe they just stumbled in here this morning by accident, God. But for the person here who doesn't know you, who's far from you, who doesn't have a relationship with you, who doesn't have a new heart that's been transformed by Jesus, God, I I pray that you would change that today, like right now in this moment. And so, friend, if that's you, if I'm describing you right now, and if you're here and you're like, yes, man, I want to I start this journey with Jesus, and I want to I join this great mission, if that, that's you, let me just encourage you to pray something like this. There's nothing magical about these words, but God hears your heart. Just pray something like this. Father, Father, I turn from my sin, and I place my faith, and I give my life now to Jesus. So, God, would you, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you give me a brand new heart and a brand new life? If you prayed that prayer or one similar to it, we're gonna sing in just a minute. I wanna encourage you. I'm gonna be down here at the front. There are gonna be some other prayer partners down at the front. Come let us know that you prayed that. We'd like to pray over you. We'd like to give you some things and begin to walk this journey with you. And Father, now we pray for the believers, the followers of Jesus in this room. God, would you give us courage right now to begin to lay our yes on the table and trust you to put it on the map, God. Help us take big risks in your kingdom, knowing that you are worth it all. And we pray it in the strong name of Jesus, the one who came to set us free. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship our risen King.